if you will please take a Bible and turn it to 1 John chapter 2. Not the Gospel of John, but the Epistle of John chapter 2. You want to place a bookmark there? We will get there. That's not where we will start, but we will get there. And then if you want to take your Bibles and turn them back to Jeremiah chapter 5. That is where we'll start here in just a moment or two. There's a proverb. It's not a biblical proverb, but there's a proverb which states it is the same with men as with donkeys. Whoever would hold them fast must get a good grip on their ears. As a preacher or a teacher writes out a lesson, he must give careful attention to the introduction. It's vital for the opening words of a message to command attention from the listener. Have you ever been sitting in a church house and the preacher gets up and it's bad in the beginning? And you think, well, maybe it'll get better. But usually if it's bad in the beginning, it's not getting better. It's only getting worse. And so sometimes a preacher will start a sermon with a cute illustration. Maybe it makes a few people chuckle or maybe it makes the whole audience roll with laughter. But there's a deeper point to be made. We do that from time to time. Or the preacher might share some statistics which show the gravity of the situation he will be describing. If you're going to preach about the use and abuse of alcohol, maybe you put up some statistics about how widespread that is or how that is so damaging. Or if you're talking about how we're losing young people in the church, maybe you show how one out of every so many kids is... Uh, not serving the Lord, or whatever, whatever that may be. Or maybe, maybe you just start with this. You just ask a question, just a rhetorical question. You get the audience to think. All of those are great ways to start sermons. I'm not going to do any of those today. Because this sermon doesn't need an introduction. Here's the introduction. Here's what you've got. You don't need statistics to make this point. Don't need a funny story to share. Here's the point. False teaching exists. And when we make that statement, that should really be enough to get our minds churning, to recognize that this is a serious issue. And so what I want to do for the balance of our time today is I want to consider what the Bible has to say about false teaching as we seek to identify what false teaching looks like so that we can avoid falling prey to it. As long as there have been teachers and preachers and prophets in the world, there have been those who taught falsely. Old Testament prophets complained about false teachers. In Jeremiah chapter 5, if you're there, Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 30, the writer says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? Just a couple of things I want you to note and put a pin in as we think about this passage. First of all, false teachers exist. And secondly, a lot of people like what false teachers have to say. 
My people love to have it so. But what will happen at judgment? Jesus foretold that there would be false prophets in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, let's just notice a couple of verses. Verses 10 and 11, he says, Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And we see that throughout the New Testament. The New Testament is full of, for example, Judaizing teachers who taught, who, who, who sought to try to, try to mesh or, or make a couple of things work together that didn't work together. And that is the freedoms of Christianity with the physical requirements of Judaism. And yeah, you want to become a Christian, that's great. Oh, you're also going to have to abide by all of these Jewish laws and traditions. We are told in the Scripture that false teachers come from outside. And a lot of times we think about it in terms of an us versus them and all those bad people out there outside of these walls teaching all of that false doctrine, leading all of those souls astray. And that certainly does happen. I think it's important to note that false teachers can also come from within the church. Notice what Paul says to the elders of the church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20 as he is giving some final parting thoughts to them. Acts chapter 20 and in verse 29 he says, I know that after my departure savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. That is talking about those who would come from the outside in. But I also want you to notice that he says in verse 30, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Some believe that this means those false teachers would come from within the church. Some take that even a step further to say those false teachers would come from among those elders. Either way, we see that false teachers come from outside as well as from inside. Turn your Bibles, please, back over to 1 John. I hope you have that place marked. We're going to reference this text frequently in this lesson. John speaks of a particular false teaching in his first epistle, in his first letter, in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, this is a lengthy reading, so stay with me. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. He says, children, it is the last hour. Before we move any further, I want you to notice and, and just make a point in your mind. When you see the term, the last hour, that means danger is imminent. There are some times in the Scripture when the writer will use, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the phrase, the last days. But you know as well as I do, days are longer than hours. And so when we're to the last hour, that's a big deal. If you've got a highlighter, you need to highlight that in red because that should jump off the page at you. It is the last 
hour. So he is trying to make a point that this is a big deal. Danger signs all around. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Also take note of chapter 4. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God." This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. John here is speaking about a particular false teaching. We're going to use this as an example to show a principle which applies to all false teaching. Specifically, John is writing about those who were denying Jesus as the Christ. You see that in chapter 2 and in verse 22. Chapter 2 and verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And you see this also in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 3, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus... Now, there are a lot of people in the religious world today who understand the Antichrist as one person, a singular personal opponent of Jesus at the end of time. And usually, not always, but usually if that is their view... It's a person who's living now because in their mind we are at the end 
of time or we are near the end of time. And so over time, the Antichrist has been a lot of people. There were people in the 30s and 40s who believed it was Hitler. There have been people who believe that it's other political figures. And generally speaking, it's just whoever's in office at the time in the minds of some. And that's the Antichrist. But I think it's important for us to note here at the outset that John makes it abundantly clear there were many Antichrists. This term only occurs in John's letters. You don't see it in the Gospel of John, but you're going to see it in 1 John chapter 2. You're going to see it in 1 John chapter 4. You're also going to see it in 2 John verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. John makes it clear that anyone who is not confessing that Jesus is the Christ has the spirit of antichrist. Christ. This would align with the teachings of Jesus. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Notice what Jesus says. Matthew 24 and verse 11. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And then verse 24, Matthew 24 and 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great wonders and signs so as to lead people astray. This would align with the teachings of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that the Spirit expressly says, verse 1, that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. I want you to see that in every one of these passages, The words are plural. There's an S at the end. Liars, spirits, antichrists. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll come back to this passage in a little while. 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse 1. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed they will exploit you with false words." Also in Jude, the little letter of Jude, right at the end of the New Testament, in Jude verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 4, for certain people. That's not one person, that's several people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. In William Barclay's writings, he gets a lot of things wrong. But he gets one thing right. He gets this right. This is what he has to say. He writes correctly that to John... Antichrist is not so much a person as it is a principle. 
the Antichrist or Antichrist, those who come along and pervert the gospel. In John's case, they are confessing that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that Jesus was not the Christ. They were accepting the Father, but not the Son. There's a lot of pieces and parts to that. But essentially, that's the nuts and bolts of what they were teaching. Now, how do false teachers present themselves today? Let me submit to you three things. First of all, they will make claims of revelation in addition to the Scripture. Will you notice what Paul says in the book of Colossians? Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive in philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Essentially what Paul is saying is don't let anyone teach you something that's not found in the Word of God. But that's what false teachers do. They will start teaching things that are extra-biblical, things which are not found in the pages of Scripture, but things which they claim are revelation in addition to the Scripture. Sometimes you'll hear them say things like, well, the Holy Spirit told me. Or the Lord told me. And if you ever hear that, you need to just recognize... They've just opened wide the floodgates for false teaching because if you say, well, God told me... Who's going to argue with that? Well, the Scripture argues with that because Scripture makes it very clear that God has given His full revelation, that God is not continuing to speak to people that way. But if the Holy Spirit speaks to me directly and tells me something that's not found in the pages of Scripture, then what I can do is I can take that and put it at the level of Scripture. I can even take it and put it at a higher level than Scripture. And that will lead to a changing approach to Scripture. Because if you believe that the Lord is speaking to you directly, an implication of that is that you're going to emphasize how you feel rather than scriptural truth. Well, the scripture does say this, but I know in my heart it's got to be this. What does Paul say about this in the book of Galatians? In Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If the Apostle Paul were alive and kicking today, here's what I think he would say. The Lord told you that? Does it go along with what's in the Scripture? He says, if an angel teaches it, he says, I don't care who teaches it. If it's contrary to what has been taught, if it is contrary to what the Lord has already revealed, can't be right. Period. Dot. 
And so that's what false teachers will do. They'll say, well, the Lord spoke to me. And they'll teach you something that's outside of the bounds of Scripture. They'll also at times declare bits and pieces of truth. They'll put some truth in there. It's not all false teaching. But what happens is they do not declare the whole counsel of God. And this will lead to teaching that is unbalanced. Maybe we'll have an emphasis on grace without teaching on justice. Maybe we'll have teaching on justice without any mention of grace. You see, it can go both ways. Maybe we'll have an emphasis on love and zeal, but it is a zeal that lacks knowledge. And then the third thing, and I believe perhaps the most popular is they will appeal to the flesh. Let's go back to 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to do some work in 2 Peter chapter 2 for a while. 2 Peter chapter 2, I want you to notice verse 18. Verse 18, he says, For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice, how? By sensual passions of the flesh. Those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. That tells us a couple of things. It tells us who are they going to attack. They're going to attack the weak. Those who are just barely making it. And how are they going to do that? They're going to do that by sensual passions of the flesh. False teachers are motivated by popularity. Jude verse 16 talks about how they use favoritism to gain what they want. False teachers are motivated by by money, verse 3 of 2 Peter 2, in their greed they will exploit you with false words. They are all about the almighty dollar and whatever they have to say and whoever they have to say it to, to get that, that is what they will do. They are consumed with pride, verse 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, he speaks, of them. They are all about carnality. They are all about this world. And to achieve these ends, they teach things that will appeal to the fleshly masses. Particularly, they preach and teach freedom from the bondage of lawful restrictions. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. What does that look like in our world today? It looks very similar to what you have in the first century church. Again, the particular heresy that John is referencing, one of the outcomes or one of the pieces that came out of that is... You can do whatever you want because the flesh is not the same as the spirit. And so go out and indulge. It's okay. And that's why you find passages where he talks about how they're using grace as a license to sin. And we see that exact same thing in today's religious world. 
If you want to be a part of the church, if you want to be pleasing to God, then that is perfectly fine. But my friends, you don't have to put away those ungodly practices and you're going to be just fine. That sounds great, does it not? And it brings people in. There's just one problem. It's not true. The Bible does not teach that. But that is what the world wants to hear. And that's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. They are from the world, verse 5. Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. They lap it up because they have itching ears and they're going to find someone who tells them what they want to hear. They're telling people what they want to hear and so there are lots and lots of people out there in this world and there are lots and lots of people in this very community who follow that hook, line, and Sinker. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander along onto myths. Myths. Because carnal people, earthly people, worldly people want a message that is carnal and earthly. John chapter 15 and verse 19, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And so false teaching exists. And there are some nuances and there are some variations to it, but in our religious world today, the central dominating false teaching is this. You can be pleasing to God and you've got to change a thing. Because grace will cover everything. Now again, it's not always packaged exactly that way, but that's basically it. And that is why That is why you see all of these people who profess to be Christians. And we've got some of them in our fellowship as well. And they look and they talk and they dress exactly like the world. Why? Because somebody somewhere along the way has told them it's okay. It's okay. You don't have to change. Because grace is going to cover everything. Now, point number two. We ain't got to follow that. We do not have to follow false teachers because we have what we need, which is the truth. And John says that in both of these chapters. In John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, after saying all these people are going out and teaching all this nonsense, he says, but you, but you. He says, you don't have to do that. 
You've been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. You know better. That's why he say it. Sometimes we say it to our kids. You know better. Well, everybody else was doing it. Well, if everybody jumped off a cliff, would you? You know better. That's what John's saying to these brethren. You ought to know better than that. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. Don't follow along. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Error still exists, but so does the truth. And God's truth always wins in the end. So how do we stand on the truth? We have the ability and we have the responsibility to test the spirits. The application for us is that we must discern between truth and error. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2 speaking about Timothy and speaking about the one who would preach and teach the gospel says you must rightly divide the word of truth. We're told about the disciples in Berea in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11 who searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And so if we are going to recognize error first, we must know the truth. Jesus says this in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, as He is speaking of the sheep, He says in verse 5, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Within the context, he makes it clear they know the voice of the shepherd. They know what's right. And so they won't go for what's wrong. And that needs to be said of us. False teachers can be identified by the products of their teaching and action. A bad tree will not bear good fruit. And so the question for us is, what are we listening to? Who are we listening to? 1 John 4 and verse 6, Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. I think it's important for us from time to time to speak about this, particularly because we have a a new generation, a generation of young people who are inundated every single day with all of this nonsense that's out there. And they've got to know just because somebody says it, it doesn't make it true. Just because your friend says it, it doesn't make it true. Just because your friend's mama and daddy say it, that doesn't make it true. Just because your friend's preacher says it, just because your preacher says it, that doesn't make it true. What does the Bible say? And there's all this false teaching going on out there. We can't cower down in the face of that. We've got to speak out against it. Jude says this in Jude 3. We've already referenced this passage. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. That is to fight for it, to stand your ground. But unfortunately, many times we do not. I'm reminded of Elijah as he's on Mount Carmel fighting against those false prophets, and he says to the people, who will you serve? 
And in 1 Kings chapter 18 it says, But the people answered him not a word. And so oftentimes that describes us. There's a story told about a soldier in the Civil War who wore a blue jacket and gray pants. You know what happened to him? He got shot from both sides. We can't be neutral. We are engaged in spiritual warfare. And if we are silent, we don't have to be mean. We don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be vicious. We see so so much of that as well in our world. But we can't just sit in silence. Because that only aids those who engage in false teaching and false religion. And so what do we have to do? We've got to know the truth, number one. That will help us to know error. And then we've got to stand up and teach what is right and stand against that which is wrong. Are we doing that? Or do we just throw up our hands and say, I don't know what we can do. There's one thing we can do. There's one thing we have. We have the help of God. And we have His Holy Scripture that has once and for all been revealed. It shows us what to do when we do it. If you're not a Christian, you know what to do. If you don't, Here's where you go. This will show you what to do. Do you believe in Jesus? All those stories in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about Jesus, how He came to this earth, how He suffered and bled and died on a cross, and how He went back to heaven, the resurrected Lord and Savior. Do you believe that? Would you be willing to confess that faith? Repenting of your sins and being baptized to wash those sins away. That is how one comes into contact with the blood of Jesus. Perhaps there's someone in this audience who needs to do that. Maybe there's someone who is already a baptized believer, but you need the help, the prayers, the support of this congregation. Maybe you have fallen away into some type of a sin. We would encourage you, whatever it takes, get your life right with God. If we can help you to that end, won't you come? Let's together we stand as we sing.